Let the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our Redeemer. Amen. No matter where I go in life, I will always see myself as a Philadelphian. Uh, the city of brotherly shove. I mean, love. And so, as to not exclude anyone, we say the city of brotherly and sisterly love. Sisters, can I get a amen? Okay. Well, if it is the city of brotherly and sisterly love, would someone please tell that to the Philadelphia Parking Authority? The PPA, an institution that is, by its very nature and its role in the city, anything but brotherly, sisterly, or loving. Now, I don't begrudge them much. Although I'm fairly certain that now that I live here, I just got a ticket from them where my car was parked in Mountainside. They are relentless. I don't know how they found me. Well, I lived in Philadelphia between 2004 and 2009, and then again uh, in 2013 until I went off to seminary in 2014. And my relationship with the PPA was, to say the very least, frustrating. We know each other all too well. It was frustrating for both parties, I think. I received parking tickets like it was my role in life to receive parking tickets. Apparently, parking signs are written in a language that I do not comprehend. Or, as it were, you also might not be too surprised to hear that there was a less mature time in my life when I didn't choose my battles very wisely. When I, quote, fought the law, and the law won. The PPA, and this is an aside, they are so notorious that a reality TV show was dedicated to them called Parking Wars. Have you seen this? If you tune into that program and see me on there, please don't tell the bishop. In our gospel story for today, we heard about a widow who continually, persistently, doggedly, with such tenacity, fought the law, and eventually she won. When I pondered this parable of Jesus, I couldn't resist sharing with you my own story of persistence with my own judge. I'm not sure if he was an unjust judge or not. I'll leave that for you to decide. So when you visit Philadelphia, you will most assuredly see City Hall. William Penn stands atop overlooking the bustling metropolis. And for most part of Philadelphia's existence, the top of his little Quaker colonial hat was the tallest edifice. In fact, it was the tallest habitable building in the world from 1894 to 1908. I'm sure you've seen him, his hand outstretched, clasping some sort of scroll. What is that in his hand? Tourists often ask that question. 
And the majority of Philadelphians do not know what the document in William Penn's hand is. Would you like to find out? Well, I can tell you. I'm pretty sure it's a parking ticket. (laughs) Well, back to the Philadelphia Parking Authority. At one point in my early 20s, I had accrued more fines than my car was worth. I was beside myself. I took a long walk, had a good long think, down to Center City, and then I looked up. And what did I see? But Billy Penn himself, with that mysterious scroll, right hand outstretched. I took this as a sign. So I did what anyone would do. I googled, what is that thing in William Penn's hand on top of City Hall? And what I discovered was mind-blowing. The paper in his hand, the hand of the man whose statue and stature looms over the municipality and historical and symbolic and architectural space of all Philadelphians, He's holding in his hand a treaty between the settlers and the first inhabitants, those who were here first, the Lene Lenape, the indigenous people. The scroll in his hand is that treaty. Now, maybe you can't see where this is going. I printed out that bits and pieces of what history remembers about that treaty, I downloaded the image of the wampum belt, the document about the treaty between William Penn and the Lene Lenape, whose homeland and ancestral territory stretched clear across what is now Pennsylvania, northern Delaware, and the majority of New Jersey, including the very ground on which we stand this morning. I printed out that image of the wampum belt, which is an indigenous equivalent to a modern-day contract. It depicts two men shaking hands. And in the Lenape tradition, those two men are William Penn, symbolizing all of the white settlers and the indigenous people of this broad region. Now I had it in my hand. (laughs) I drove my Subaru Forester down to the courthouse. I parked in a spot that I thought was legit, but it really turned out. (laughs) I marched right into that courthouse with treaty in hand. After at least two hours of waiting, I finally got an audience with my judge. An old, heavyset, white-haired man He read out my tickets, my list of fines. He hit record on his cassette recorder. That's how old I am. And then he asked me what I intended to do about this. With a stoic face, unflinching as Clint Eastwood, I handed him my documentation. Do you recognize this document, sir? He leaned back in his chair squinted his eyes, adjusted his glasses, and read the document that I presented. And he guffawed. (laughs) He said, well, 
This is regarding the treaty between William Penn and the Lenape, the Native Americans. I said exuberantly, exactly. <laughs> and as you can see, sir, I was clearly parked on Indian land, and I'm happy to pay the Lenape these fines, but I'm not going to pay you. <laughs> the judge laughed so hard, I thought he was going to have a heart attack. My Philadelphia parking authority judge was so moved by my defense, not really in the way that I wanted him to be, but he saw my strategy, found it hilarious, and waived my fines and fees. Then he said, thank you for the entertainment. That's the funniest thing I've heard in a long, long time. <laughs> he did cancel my fees and my fines. Now, I, I don't know. I don't know if my tale is of a just judge or just a bored judge, but either way, my persistence paid off. In the weeks and months to come, I did contact the Tribal Affairs Council of the Eastern Lenape Nation, and I sent them the money for parking on their land illegally. <laughs> you might be uh, amused to find out that I also printed out dozens of copies of the treaty and the wampum belt and stood in front of the Filbert Street Courthouse and handed it out to people and told them, just show this to the judge. <laughs> Grant me justice, the persistent widow pleaded. Day after day, week after week, grant me justice. How long must I plea? How long must I ask? How many times must I make my case to you? Now, if you're like me, there's an immediate temptation when reading this parable. There's a temptation in our frailty, in our, in our humanness, in, in, in a way of reading ourselves into the story that we tend to position ourselves in the place of the widow. Coming to the unjust judge every day, day after day, trying to push ourselves, trying to gain worthiness of a just decree, trying to somehow convince him by our behavior and our actions that he should give us a verdict that relieves us and absolves us, sets things right in our lives, grants us justice. We see ourselves as this person who if we could only just get it right, if we can only get our ducks in a row, if we can only appeal to God in such a way that God can hear us, this time, he might hear us. Grant me justice. How else can I say it? Maybe this time he might move on our behalf if I just be good enough. Maybe he'll heal us. Maybe he'll save us. Maybe he'll give us the thing that we need for fulfillment. Maybe he'll heal a broken relationship. Maybe he'll respond to the dreams in our hearts. Maybe he'll give us peace, wholeness. Maybe if I try hard enough, I can have some grace. But this is not the meaning of this parable. In this parable, 
You and I are the persistent, are, I'm sorry, in this parable, you and I are not the persistent widow. It seems that I want so much to read myself as the persistent widow that I almost said it again. In this parable, you and I are not the widow. In this parable, God is the persistent widow. Grant me justice, she cries, with deliberation, intention. And in this persistent widow, Jesus offers us a picture of his unshakable, unrelenting heart of God for you and me and for all of humanity. The question has often been posed, and it's a question that hangs in the air. I think anyone who thinks seriously about life, consciously or unconsciously, is a question that every person with a heartbeat asks on some level, and that question is, where is justice? What must we do to find it? Where is resolution? Where is reconciliation? And when will things be made right? When will things be as they should? If God is an all-loving and all-powerful God, why do bad things happen to good people? Why is there conflict? Why is there war? Why is there anxiety? Why is there unfulfillment? Why is there a hole in my heart? Will you grant us justice? We ask God, how could you let these things happen? And God replies with the same question back to us and asks us, how could you let this happen? Martin Luther King Jr., whose name I do not invoke lightly, said the arc of the universe is long, but it bends toward justice. I know how she feels. There is a longing in the human heart. Every child is born crying God's name. Wondering, when will we we have justice? When will we have resolution? And like the persistent widow, God pursues us daily, day after day, persistently, relentlessly pursuing us to bring about wholeness, healing, reconciliation, justice, and peace. So for you and me here on St. Paul Street, what does it mean? for us to reflect God in the persistent widow? What does it mean for us to participate with God, a relentless God who pleads with our world for justice and peace and healing? When we invest ourselves and our wills, when we give of our time, our resources, our energies, our money, our hearts, and we put them into the things of the kingdom, a kingdom that is characterized by healing, justice, reconciliation, wholeness. When we do those things, 
We are like the God who reveals himself in the parable of the persistent widow. Will you grant me justice, he asks. Let's build the kingdom together. Amen. Thank mm-hmm. you.